Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Buddham Dhammam Sangam Namasami Pachupananam Dhammanam Viparinamanusanam This is the definition, this is the Pali description of one of the most important insights that we can have as meditators. And it is typically the fourth insight. And the beauty of this insight is that when we come to this kind of knowledge, then we have the present moment understanding of that Dhamma, which is the, the, the disappearing, the arising and disappearing of phenomena. And it's a, an event or it's a process that happens so quickly that it, over, it subdues everything else that we experience. It subdues it. It, it empowers our ability to see all phenomena, all conditions, as presently really arising and disappearing. There is nothing else that we see. And the other way that this insight manifests for us is because it has six qualities of upeka. Six. So I wanted to talk about this a little bit because I wanted to encourage us to realize the power of this meditation practice and what it can bring us to. And this insight does not come by itself. We have to put in the effort and we have to persevere in our practice. We start by noticing the difference between nama and rupa, between the mental and the physical aspects of the processes that the body-mind consists of. Because we start out identifying very strongly with the body and believing this, this is who we are. And we get caught in the the idea of a, a self that lives in this process. But as we start to see more closely through the practice of vipassana, which is clearly observing the conditions, the phenomena arising in consciousness moment by moment, at all times, then we begin slowly by watching the contents of consciousness, watching the contents. And we watch their arising and ceasing. Because they don't, it's not stationary. As soon as you close your eyes, first you're struggling to calm the mind, 
because we're busy, and to bring it to a focus, a stillness, a one-pointedness, and to still those mental formations, little by little. And as they calm down, it's like when, when you go to the edge of the ocean, if a wind is blowing, then the sea is frothy, waves, froth, rising, ceasing, rising, very fast. It's churned up. And there is no calm. But when the wind dies down and the water becomes still, then we can look into the ocean and we can see into its depths. So the mind is also like that. When we're operating in in the world, in daily life, and the winds of change are blowing us this way and that way, we are like ships without a rudder. We flutter. We're like flags in a big wind. We get shredded. Things happen and we become upset. Or uh, we get pleasure from gratification of our senses. And then we feel a happiness. So we have sukha dukkha. We have domanasa and somanasa. Thinking of your dad, right? Somanasa. And these pleasures and pains roll and circle back and forth, back and forth. And we, we, we jump from one to the other, one to the other. But as we calm the mind, that all stops. And we're able to put it down, more or less. Put it down for five minutes, for 12 minutes, for 17 minutes, for longer and longer bits. And as the mind deepens, we start to discover within us these treasures. So these treasures are jnanas, they're knowledges. But once we discover these treasures, we never go back into that stillness of the mind without seeing those treasures. They're always accessible to us. And one of those treasures, beyond knowing the difference between the mind and the contents of the mind, we start to know the mind in its purity. and We know that the activities of the mind are not the mind. But for ignorance, people or for people who do not have this knowledge they identify with the activities of the mind and that and think that this is this is what we are compelled to engage we have we have to follow these things we have to follow our thoughts and our desires and our opinions all of this we have to run after it or run away from it but this is due to delusion once we start to penetrate through to the treasure the jewel, we start to see the truth of how things really are. We see the anicca, the dukkha, the anatta. And these insights come little by little. So knowing dukkha, knowing the suffering, knowing the joy and the suffering, knowing the, the impermanence and the emptiness of it all. So seeing that we are not these activities and we're not this body process, neither are we this mental process. But this mental process helps us to understand that which is the, the essence that enables us to be aware of all of this. 
And this power of awareness is the ability to understand this insight of Udaya Bayanyana. Now, Udaya Bayanyana means this very rapid arising and ceasing. And when we have this insight, what it does is it strengthens our knowledge of impermanence to such an extent that we can never really see the world without knowing impermanence. It becomes like a little bit tattooed. You know, when you get a tattoo, you it doesn't wash out. I've got three on my head. Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. Truly, this was my bhikkhuni ordination was three tattoos. My three refuges. Then I had the fourth one, which was because I had a cyst and it, the surgeon had to make a hole to get it out. And he tried to line it up with the other three, but he couldn't quite do that, so I call it the fourth noble truth. <laughs> Suffering, dukkha. This is the dukkha truth. And it's tattooed there. So I always remember Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, dukkha. Because dukkha is our teacher. So when you have this knowledge of this uh, present moment awareness that is seeing the quick arising and ceasing, what are these six qualities of upeka that we develop? Well, one of them is that the mind sees every phenomena as this arising, ceasing, arising, ceasing. Just like you see the waves of the sea but it's no longer fraught. It's just truth. It's not agitated. It's not disturbing. It's just a truth arising in your heart. It's not something that you have to run away from. It's not something you try to hold on to. It's just something that you know. And you know it from your belly. You know it from in, deep in your own heart. It's not... It, it, it isn't something that could possibly disturb you. It could only bring joy. But it's a different kind of joy, not a joy that you try to grasp. So this is the first kind of upeka, because it's upeka that means you neither have fear, nor do you grasp for the joy. You just experience the equanimity of that. So you're experiencing neither terror nor delight. But there is a delight of experiencing neither terror or delight, which is the happiness of having enough equanimity to be able to know this jnana, this udaya by jnana. So udaya is arising and baya is disappearing. So disappearing is another definition for anicca. What is impermanence? Impermanence means there is nothing that we can hang on to. Absolutely nothing. Everything is so quickly arising and ceasing, it has no substance to it. And we see that. So when we see that, there is nothing we like and there's nothing we dislike because it doesn't last long enough for us to have any liking or disliking about it. That's just the way every phenomena is. 
Every moment of our life is an arising and ceasing. The only reason we believe that it belongs to us is because we don't have this knowledge about it. But when the mind stops long enough, when the, when the gaps in, the, in our, our delusion are closed and all we see is truth, then there's nothing we can grasp because we see the truth of how much everything is disappearing. What can you grasp? It's all disappearing. So you can neither like it nor will you dislike it because it has no substance. It's just flowing. It's just process. It's basically empty. Disappearing speaks to the emptiness of all that we think we are or all that we think we experience or all that we believe that we we see or hear or smell or taste or touch or even know. Even the truth of this disappearing of phenomena arising and ceasing in the present moment in our awareness quickly, even that truth is arising and ceasing. It's not static, it's dynamic. So we see the whole universe in that way. That's why this truth is extremely profound. There's no liking, no disliking. There's no happy and there's no not happy. There's no one to experience happiness or unhappiness. It's just a complete upeka, a complete equanimity of knowledge. But it's only a taste of it, just enough to solidify our faith in the path to such an extent that we feel incredible depth of, of the jewels, the three jewels, like they're tattooed in your heart. And that is a, a kind of joy that is from an intuitive place. It's not a, a, a joy of the senses. It's not a kilesa. It's pure purification. The joy of the mind becoming so pure that you can know this truth without a doubt. So this is like a minor experience of Sotapanna. And in fact, as according to, this is a, perhaps an Abhidhamma interpretation, but this is how in Burma it's taught. Anyone that experiences that is bound to become a sotapanna in this life. And it's not a very... It is an important jnana, but it's not the same as the Sankara Upeka jnana, which is more closer to the arrival or the arising of Magapala jnana for sotapanna. So we have to really not give up on what we're doing because... We may be, we may have already experienced that, or we may be on the brink of having that kind of knowledge. Now this, this jnana, this knowledge, has the other quality of, of upeka in that it, is, it, it comes with an energy that flows from itself. We don't have to push, we don't have to strive. All our effort, all our strive, all our dedication and devotion to practice 
has reached this culminating jnana that then just presents itself to us. It's like the door opened and somebody offers you this knowledge. Here, taste, drink. You just drink it and you think, oh, amazing. Yes. And you keep knowing it. The mind keeps knowing it and knowing it. And we don't want to let that go. We feel, we feel like we've arrived in a place of, of something so precious. We would never let it go. We would never know the world without remembering that. It's almost like a, a being born. Like a new birth. And many people, when they come to the Dhamma, they come and they feel like they've come home. Like people often tell me, oh, I, I tried this and I tried that and then I started practicing meditation and I felt like I'd reached a safe place. Well, this is another step in that deepening of that safety when we have this level of upeka, when the practice just takes care of itself because you know that everything is disappearing. So you don't get too, too terrified or too attached to anything because you, can't, you, you really, your stomach has tasted something, not, the, not this belly, but your spiritual belly has been filled in a way that you, you have never been filled before. The other thing about this is that it, because it's so effortless and it, it, it's so fulfilling, it also has no distraction in it. Nothing that you present to the meditator who is experiencing this will distract them from this knowledge. They will be able to focus on it without any kilesa whatsoever. There is no doubt coming. There is no, I mentioned there's no fear, there's no attachment to sense pleasure, there's no restlessness, there's no laziness, no exhaustion, it's effortless, it just keeps rolling along. But eventually, this insight comes to a maturity, and when it comes to a maturity, we start to experience something different. We start to experience the only the disappearance, only the disappearance of phenomena. And then we start to have a, a knowledge which is frightening. It's terrifying because it feels like the world is so dangerous. How can we survive it? We start to experience that it's actually a maturing of that insight. But when that happens, we need a teacher. We need somebody to help us, to guide us, because we might start to think, uh-oh, I've lost the plot. But it isn't. It's just another way of experiencing dukkha. So we, we constantly roll up and down in our practice, experiencing sukha dukkha, sukha dukkha, and upeka, sukha dukkha, sukha dukkha, upeka, at different levels until we've experienced the phenomena to develop the stages that prepare us for a transformation of consciousness, which takes us to Magapala.
So I just wanted to mention this because sometimes people get so attached to fear and so attached to the sense pleasure that, and they, they believe that they will never be able to get beyond these hindrances. They get so attached to their anger and so attached to the self that is urgently and desperately clinging to these emotions or these mind states as if they were absolute truth because the delusion is so intense. But when the mind opens up to this kind of a nimitta, it's like a sign in the mind of the disappearance of phenomena. And we follow that. And we develop that sense of the anicca of things. This is the development of one of the three characteristics to a point that helps to free the mind and equilibrate our, our, our level of practice so that we can experience uh, less of the delusion, like we seal up the gaps. You know, when you're meditating, normal kind of cycle of meditation, we have good moments when the mind is really present and then it gets caught in the past, goes to the future, cycles around in thought, and then remembers, oh, present moment awareness, present moment. But in this particular uh, way of knowing the truth of what the mind already knows, the pure mind is already basking in that. We just have to clear the kilesas enough to experience it. When this opens to us, it's because the, we, our mindfulness has become so strong that the object that we're observing is, becomes less and less dense. It starts to disappear. It arises. We start to see the object itself disappearing, disappearing, arising and ceasing, arising. So there are no objects left. In other words, whatever object we were focused on opens up into process. It becomes empty. Like if you're looking at the breath, suddenly the breath will just disappear. It's because it becomes, our knowledge becomes so refined. It's like looking in a very powerful magnifying glass. We see, we, the body disappears, the breath disappears. The, the field of the mind's magnification is so powerful that we see into every object and all we see is its atomic nature. We even see beyond its atomic nature. We see the nanoparticles. Now, how is the mind capable of that? Ah, it is. We begin to see at that level. So, what, where is the object? There is no object. There are no objects. How is that? There are no objects. So, what is there for us to attach to if there are no objects? There are no objects. There is no one to experience these objects. And there is no experience of these objects. There's only the knowing present moment, awareness of phenomena rolling along, arising and ceasing, without terror or delight, without liking or disliking, without happiness or, or, or unhappiness, without distraction, without a knower and a known, 
There's just pure knowing of the arising and ceasing. And this is a pure Dhamma experience. And it's freedom. It's an upeka. Upeka is the basis for our freedom. It is empty. And we are just the awareness knowing that. That's it. Awareness knowing the truth of that yana. We have this potential. And we must work for it because that's what we're born to, to experience. We're here for that. We're not here for anything else. So I thought I would share that with you today uh, as an encouragement to work hard for the truth. Whatever samsara offers to us is just a temporary measure. And whatever goodness that we cultivate through meditation practice, through dana sila, through developing wisdom, through practicing the brahma-viharas, being kind, compassionate to ourselves, to each other, then our life becomes just a gift, a a spiritual experience of giving and receiving gifts, the gifts of Dhamma. We give the gift, we receive the gift, and it gets larger, and it affects our consciousness. So that when we sit down, we can experience the riches of this inner cultivation. This inner cultivation, which is the path of freedom, complete freedom from every kind of dukkha. Then we are the true sons and daughters of the Blessed One. Thank you for listening. Do you have any questions? I think uh, I just want to actually ask something because uh, everything is depending on actually we have to get it off I, me, mine. Yes, that's right, everything. everything. That's the concern. Yeah. We attach because there's a person called I. That's right. It's to be as, we're, as long as we the I arises, that's when the world arises. Yeah. As soon as the world arises, we're in trouble. Yeah. And we think we're not in trouble. Just we walk around thinking, I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. But as soon as the I is there, we're not fine. This is wisdom. So in the end, there's no one who gets enlightened. People come and they want to know, how can I get enlightened? But no one gets enlightened. It's just that the knowledge grows. We start with little knowledge, little, little knowledge. Like the project, the builders, they're building this little building. Well, there was nothing there, then they made a hole. There was nothing but a hole. Then they moved around some bits of this and bits of that, and little by little, they make something. But it just started from a hole. 
And this practice is like that. We just, we start with small knowledge and we build it, we develop it, we grow it. And it gets bigger. We have to cultivate it, protect it, and not allow our delusion to spoil it, to, to destroy it, to kill it, to remove it, to endanger it. It's like that little Bodhi tree. It was just a root, but we took care of it and grew in it. It just keeps growing, getting bigger. We keep pruning it, it gets bigger. We don't prune it, but some, someone prunes it for us so that it won't grow up to the ceiling, then we can't take care of it. If it's up there, and we can't keep it outside because we're in Canada, we'll die outside. So we have to do that which doesn't kill the goodness in us. Anger is is deadly. Forgiveness is life. 